It was the evening of August 21st, 1986, in the remote village of Lower Neos in northwest Cameroon. Residents finished their evening meals, readied themselves for the next day's market, and settled into bed. Ephraim Cha, a subsistence farmer, lived in a mud-brick home on a cliff above Lake Neos, the nearby volcanic crater lake. Just as he was about to go to sleep, he heard a rumbling sound and saw an eerie white mist rise from the surface of the lake. He thought it must be rain. A few miles away, Halima Suli, a cowherd, lived at the base of Lake Neos. She heard the same rumbling as Ephraim. Suddenly, what she described as a great wind swept through her village. But it wasn't wind at all. It was a cloud of lethal gas. Suddenly, she fell unconscious. A deadly force buried deep in the lake had just been unleashed. By morning, nearly 2,000 people would be dead. Welcome to Natural Disasters, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Tim. Every Thursday, we'll explore the moments in history when the natural world turned deadly. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Natural Disasters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. This week, we're doing a single episode on the toxic gas disaster at Lake Neos. The volcanic lake in Cameroon unleashed a cloud of deadly gas that killed more than 1,700 people overnight. This disaster was only the second of its kind in recorded history, alerting scientists to a new threat lurking in the watery deep. In this episode, we'll uncover the geologic features that made Lake Neos a ticking time bomb. We'll also explore the fateful night that Lake Neos finally exploded, releasing a cloud of lethal gas on thousands of unsuspecting villagers. Finally, we'll examine the aftermath of the tragedy and investigate efforts to prevent similar catastrophes at Lake Neos and beyond. We'll dive into the disaster right after this. The Central African nation of Cameroon is about the size of California. It's surrounded by land on three sides, with the Gulf of Guinea to the west. Cameroon straddles the equator, with warm temperatures year-round, and the land is geologically vibrant and volatile. This volatility is due to the thousand-mile chain of volcanoes that begins in the ocean and ends in the mountainous border region between Cameroon and Nigeria. Between 400 and 500 years ago, magma rose up from the Earth's core along this mountain range. When the magma came into contact with the water table deep underground, it caused a massive eruption. The force of the eruption formed a giant crater about a mile in diameter and nearly 700 feet deep. Instead of a typical bowl-shaped volcano, this depth made the crater more like a drilled hole in the Earth. And this hole was deep enough to completely bury a 60-story building. Over time, water filled the crater, creating a freshwater lake called Neos. This newly available fresh water made human settlement possible in the region like never before. Villages sprung up within a 10-mile radius of the lake, particularly in the valley to the north. But Lake Neos also had two unique features that would prove deadly. First, 
Lake Neos is one of only three known lakes in the world to be saturated with carbon dioxide, also known as CO2. Saturation occurs when a lake is holding the maximum possible amount of a gas. The carbon dioxide in Lake Neos is a byproduct of volcanic activity. Magma flows close beneath the lake floor, and when it comes into contact with certain forms of rock, such as limestone and marble, carbon dioxide is released. The CO2 travels upwards via fissures in the Earth's crust. If the fissures release the CO2 into the air, it is like pouring sparkling water into a glass. The CO2 dissipates gradually and is harmless. But in the case of Lake Neos, the cracks in the Earth force CO2 directly into the water at the bottom of the lake, where the pressure is extreme. At sea level, atmospheric pressure is 14.6 pounds per inch. That means that as you walk down the street, there's 14.6 pounds of pressure pushing against your body from the weight of the atmosphere above you. At the bottom of Lake Neos, under almost 700 feet of water, the pressure is roughly 300 pounds per square inch, over 20 times the pressure on the surface. When placed under this extreme pressure, the carbon dioxide dissolves in water. This is how soda and champagne are made. The carbon dioxide remains in a dissolved form until the pressure is released by opening the soda can or popping the cork. Then, the carbon dioxide instantly returns to a gas, creating bubbles. The higher the pressure, the more carbon dioxide water can hold. The temperature also impacts the amount of saturation. Colder water can hold more carbon dioxide than warmer water. The greater the saturation level, the more powerful the reaction if the pressure is released, much like shaking the bottle of champagne before popping the cork. At the bottom of Lake Neos, the frigid, highly pressurized water can hold up to five liters of dissolved gas in just one liter of water. But by itself, the presence of CO2 in Lake Neos wasn't necessarily dangerous, it was the other unique trait of the lake that made a recipe for disaster. Lake water changes temperature depending on depth. The warmest water is at the surface, heated by solar energy. Cold water is denser than warm water. It sinks to the bottom of the lake. In the winter, lower air temperatures cool the surface of the lake, and the now cold water sinks toward the bottom. This causes the lake water to mix a process called lake turnover. Most lakes around the world turn over twice each year, once in the fall and once in the spring, as the surface layer warms and pulls the water upward. But Cameroon is near the equator, where temperatures stay similar year-round. This meant that the surface water in Lake Neos didn't cool and sink in the fall. As a result, Lake Neos went decades or even centuries without turning over. This lack of mixing meant that the carbon dioxide in the deepest parts of Lake Neos became more saturated with each passing year. Estimates suggest Lake Neos contained millions of liters of dissolved CO2 by August 1986. Like an overfilled tire that can burst with little warning, even a slight change in temperature or pressure could cause the dissolved CO2 to erupt out of the water. And it had happened before. Just two years before Lake Neos reached a critical tipping point, another lake turned deadly. On August 15, 1984, only 62 miles from Neos, 
Lake Manoon released a toxic cloud of carbon dioxide. 37 people died. At the time, scientists were puzzled. None of their explanations made sense. One volcanologist, Dr. Haralder Sigurdsson, proposed that an eruption of carbon dioxide from the lake caused the deaths. The renowned journal Science rejected his study, calling it far-fetched. Nobody would look at Sigurdsson's research again until it was too late. With scientists still divided over the cause of the Lake Manoon tragedy, the people living near Lake Neos had no warning of the grave danger their lake posed. As the levels of carbon dioxide in Neos rose to treacherous levels, villagers in communities near Lake Neos went about their daily lives. The village of Lower Neos was built on the lakeshore. Five miles to the north was the town of Sebum. A few miles beyond that was the village of Cha. More than 6,000 people lived across the three villages. Most were farmers or cattle herders. On August 21, 1986, their lives changed forever. There was a market planned for the next day in Lower Neos, and many villagers went to bed early. Ephraim Cha, the farmer who lived with his four children in a house on a cliff above the lake, was sitting in bed when he heard a low rumble. Halima Suli, also at home near the shore of the lake, heard the same sound. Alarmed, she stopped to listen as the rumble grew louder. It was a rock slide. Hundreds of tons of volcanic rock slid down the cliff faces and plunged into the lake. As the rocks plummeted toward the lake bottom, they passed through colder and colder layers of water, each one more highly pressurized than the one above. As the rocks reached the deepest layers of the lake, their size and motion disturbed the carbon dioxide-rich water resting there. Much like dropping a stone into a glass of water with sand at the bottom, when the rock lands, some of the sand is blasted upward. When the boulders hit the bottom of the lake, they shattered the deep, stable pressure. With less pressure on the disturbed water, the dissolved CO2 suddenly burst into an explosion of bubbles, like opening a 700-foot-tall champagne bottle. A wall of water exploded out of the lake, propelled by the massive wave of rising CO2. As that water cascaded back down into the lake, it created a 25-foot wave that pummeled the lake's southern shore. The force of the wave tore trees and bushes out at the root, stripping the land bare for 250 feet inland. At the same time as the wave rushed across the lake, scientists estimate that roughly 1.6 million tons of carbon dioxide burst out of the water in under 20 seconds. The million-plus tons of CO2 gas formed a white cloud over the surface of the lake. It was hundreds of feet tall and nearly a mile wide. Papaniako, a local resident, said, The thing was like white cloth. It went down near the ground. The cloud of gas blanketed the surface of the lake. It spilled over the rim of the crater, rolling silently across the valley toward the sleepy towns below. There was little warning and no escape. Coming up, the cloud of deadly toxic gas reaches the first village. Now, back to the story. A little after 9 p.m. on August 21, 1986, villagers in rural Cameroon were getting ready for bed when they heard a rumbling sound. 
A rock slide disturbed the deep waters of nearby Lake Neos, releasing over a million tons of dissolved carbon dioxide into the air in less than 20 seconds. The carbon dioxide exploded out of the lake, sending a 25-foot wall of water crashing onto the shore. A massive cloud of CO2 gas spread out from the lake. Once the cloud of gas completely filled the crater, it spilled over the North Lip and raced downhill into the valley below at nearly 45 miles per hour. Halima Suli, who lived with her husband, four children, and extended family at the base of the lake, was amongst the first to fall prey to the speeding mist. She felt a gust of wind blow through her village, followed by a warm sensation throughout her body. Moments later, she was unconscious. Carbon dioxide isn't toxic on its own. In fact, we expel it with every exhale of breath. But as the concentration of carbon dioxide increases, it wreaks havoc on the human body. Normal air is just four one-hundredths of a percent carbon dioxide. The rest is composed of mostly nitrogen and oxygen. Breathing air with just 0.1% carbon dioxide causes increased blood pressure, racing heartbeat, dizziness, headache, and hallucinations. 4% CO2 will snuff out candles. CO2 concentrations of 10% or higher cause hyperventilation, convulsions, and loss of consciousness in less than a minute. Above 17%, unconsciousness and death occur within seconds. The deadly cloud was almost 100% pure carbon dioxide. And because carbon dioxide is one and a half times heavier than normal air, the gas cloud stayed near the ground. In the same way that during a flood, water will rush into the basement of a house and rise from there, carbon dioxide will begin by blanketing the lowest lying space available. As the CO2 fills more of the space, breathable air is displaced. The 150-foot-tall cloud pushed the breathable air out of the entire Neos Valley, suffocating everything in its path, including animals. The cloud first tore through the lakeside compound where Halima Suli lived, then rolled downward to lower Neos. It asphyxiated humans, cattle, birds, and insects. Almost nothing that breathed could survive the concentrated gas. The wall of gas covered the few miles to the village of Sebum in minutes. The effects of the gas were so rapid that people fell to the ground right where they were standing, at their cooking stoves, in their yards, near their beds. At 9.35 p.m., the invisible cloud rolled through the village of Cha, located seven miles from Lake Neos. Some villagers realized something terrible was happening, but were unable to form words without oxygen, which prevented them from warning others. One man reported, I could not speak. I heard my daughter snoring in a terrible way, very abnormal. When crossing to my daughter's bed, I collapsed and fell. I wanted to speak. My breath would not come out. The eruption of gas and inundation of the villages likely took less than 30 minutes but the heavy carbon dioxide was slow to dissipate, particularly from the areas with lowest elevation. The suffocating gas lingered overnight with devastating consequences. At dawn the following morning, August 22nd, the horrified survivors came face to face with the scale of the destruction. Ephraim Cha headed downhill toward the shore of Lake Neos. He noticed that the lake, which was normally blue, 
had turned a sickening rust color. This resulted from iron oxide-rich sediment pulled from the bottom of the lake, coming into contact with oxygen near the surface. Large mats of vegetation floated on the lake's surface, torn from the shoreline by the giant wave. Then Cha noticed the utter silence. There were no insect sounds, no birds. It was as though everyone and everything around the lake was dead. His legs began to shake with fear. Suddenly, he heard blood-curdling screams. He ran toward the sound and found Halima Suli wailing. Suli was screaming in horror and grief. She was outside her home, surrounded by the corpses of her four children and 31 of her family members. She shook her father over and over in a vain attempt to revive him. Realizing that something unthinkable had happened, Cho ran further downhill to the home of his extended family. He prayed that they had been spared. Unfortunately, when he arrived, he discovered that his parents, siblings, aunts, and uncles all perished. In the village's hardest hit, the death toll was staggering. Out of the 800 villagers in Lower Neos, only six survived. All told, the gas cloud killed more than 1,700 people and 3,500 livestock. One villager described the grisly scene that morning. She said, just sitting among the dead people, inside the house, outside, animals everywhere, fowls, ducks, cows, everything, all the family. We were 56, but 53 died. The gas clouds snuffed out the lives of many in the valley. A lucky few survived. Some escaped the disaster because they were away from the valley by chance. Mercy Bih, aged 12, was away buying supplies for a 26-member extended family. All of her relatives died, but she was spared. Others survived because they happened to be on higher ground. Cha Kamasang Jerome was eight years old. Nine members of his family survived. He said, That night was a miracle. It was a stroke of luck that our house was located on a hillside. The toxic gas did not completely envelop the hills as it did in the valleys. Finally, inexplicably, some people in the low-lying villages survived, emerging from unconsciousness between 6 and 36 hours after the cloud moved through. Many of those survivors had mysterious lesions and blisters on their bodies. At first, doctors thought the lesions were the sign of a chemical burn caused by a gas other than carbon dioxide, one that has corrosive effects on the skin. It turns out that carbon dioxide caused the reactions. When people fainted from asphyxiation, blood circulation to the skin decreased and pressure on certain body parts increased. Sores and blisters formed on the skin in response to the pressure and reduced blood flow. Similar sores form on the bodies of patients in drug-induced comas. In the early hours and days after the disaster, survivors faced the consequences alone. Lake Neos is in a remote part of Cameroon and had little communication with the outside world. It wasn't until two days after the disaster on August 23, 1986, that the outside world learned what happened. A Swiss missionary service traveling by helicopter spotted dead humans and dead cattle strewn across the landscape and reported the news to authorities. Once the news was reported, the Cameroonian military arrived. 
they buried the bodies of victims in mass graves and evacuated most of the survivors, fearing that disaster could strike again at any moment. Ephraim Cha was one of the few allowed to stay in the area because his house was on high ground. He remained in place with his wife and children, as well as seven of his uncle's children orphaned by the disaster. But most residents had to leave their homes. 4,000 people were relocated to seven refugee camps. The military destroyed the houses in the villages near Lake Neos so that nobody could return. After the villagers fled the area, the mystery still remained as to what killed their families and if it might return. Coming up, scientists discover the scope of the danger lurking in the lake. Now, back to the story. On August 21, 1986, Cameroon's volcanic Lake Neo spewed forth a massive cloud of lethal gas. The cloud of carbon dioxide smothered nearby villages, killing nearly 2,000 people and 3,500 livestock in a single night. Within days of the disaster, scientists from around the world arrived at Lake Neos to try to piece together what happened. There were several possible explanations, including chemical weapons or an underwater volcanic eruption. A chemical weapon could explain so many deaths, but examination of the bodies didn't support that theory. An underwater volcanic eruption could also explain the deaths, but an eruption would cause the lake temperature to rise and the temperature of Lake Neos was unchanged. The true culprit remained hidden. Then Dr. George Kling and Dr. Bill Evans, two of the earliest scientists to arrive on the scene, decided to test water from the bottom of the lake to search for clues. They lowered a sample container to the bottom, filled it with water, and began raising it to the surface. When the container came into view, they saw that water was literally bursting out of it. The scientists suddenly realized there were enormous stores of gas in the lake. It was that clue that allowed them to piece together what really happened, even as the scientific community was initially skeptical. Dr. Kling explained why the carbon dioxide theory was so hard for scientists to stomach at first. He said, the idea that a lake itself could have done this didn't really fit with anyone's expectation. Lakes don't kill people. People may drown, but lakes just don't explode and kill people, so it was a leap to go from a relatively easy explanation of a volcanic eruption to something that no one had ever heard of before. Scientists were shocked to discover that lakes could kill people. Now they needed to prevent it from happening again. In March of 1987, six months after the disaster at Lake Neos, Cameroon held an international conference of scientists devoted to preventing future tragedies around Crater Lakes. One of those scientists, hydrologist Gregory Tanyuleke, studied Lake Neos in the subsequent decade and found that an estimated 5,500 tons of carbon dioxide poured into the lake annually. By 1995, the lake contained as much as 72,000 cubic miles of CO2, hundreds of times the amount that erupted in 1986. Desperate for solutions, in 1995, a team of French scientists tested a method for preventing future disasters. They believed that if the lake could release its stored CO2 gradually, a catastrophic lake turnover event wouldn't happen again. Their proposed system was called an organ pipe, 
a 690-foot-long pipe running from the surface of the lake to the deepest layer. The pipe would draw water from the bottom up toward the surface. As the water traveled upward, pressure would decrease and stored carbon dioxide would turn back to gas. That gas would vent into the air in small, harmless amounts. But there were many potential dangers to this plan. The first risk of the organ pipe system was that spraying cold, dense water from the bottom of the lake onto the warm surface layer of the lake could produce a lake turnover event like the one in 1986. As the cold water sank back toward the bottom, it would displace all the water around it, mixing the layers and releasing stored gas. Another risk of the organ pipe system was that the pipe could rupture during installation, possibly causing sufficient disruption to the water system to trigger a chain reaction again. In March 1995, the experimental pipe was installed. The final and most dangerous step was starting the pump. To minimize the risk, scientists and locals evacuated to the hills for protection. They tried to start the pump, expecting water to spring forth from the pipe within minutes. After four hours of waiting, nothing happened. A second attempt was also unsuccessful. It was now the last day of the experiment. If the experiment failed, funding would be cut, stalling efforts to prevent future catastrophe. One of the lead scientists insisted on trying one last time, even as others packed up camp to leave. On that final attempt, the pump started. A fountain of water burst out of the surface of the lake, reaching almost seven stories high. The tower of water was rich in carbon dioxide, and the spraying liquid safely dispelled the gas into the surrounding air. That first successful organ pipe in 1995 led to the installation of a permanent organ pipe in 2001. When the pump started, the CO2-rich water emerged with such force that it created a 164-foot-high fountain of water, significantly higher than the fountain in 1995. This indicates that in only six years, the CO2 saturation in the lake increased substantially, a dire warning of the risk of failing to vent the lake. In light of the rapid increase in CO2 saturation, scientists recommended installing nine more pipes. They predicted that with 10 pipes running, Lake Neos could be brought to safe CO2 levels in 10 years. Sadly, that didn't happen. Government leaders and funding bodies failed to take the threat seriously enough to fund the extra pipes, and only three pipes were installed over subsequent years. With only one-third of the recommended capacity, it is unclear when, if ever, NEOS will be safe from another explosion. In 2015, the lead scientist on the organ pipe program suggested the lake would be safe within five years, but the pipes would have to be closely monitored. While scientists were busy attempting to prevent another catastrophe, the survivors of the 1986 disaster worked to piece their lives back together. 17 years after the cloud of death took his family, Ephraim Cha still lived on the cliffs above Lake Neos. He worked for scientists in the area, measuring lake levels and guarding equipment. Meanwhile, cowherd Halima Suli and her husband Amadou rebuilt their family. As of 2003, they had five young children, all born after the disaster. Amadou Suli said, if I think about what I was, what the family was, 
I can go crazy, so I try not to. Other families struggled to rebuild in the refugee camps. Each family received a small plot of land and government assistance with food and other necessities. For those who had been subsistence farmers before the disaster, the land allotment was barely enough to farm even minimal crops. For those who had been cowherds, it wasn't nearly enough land to graze. This left families dependent on government support to survive. Rather than to continue to be dependent on government assistance, many survivors expressed the desire to return to their ancestral lands, where they could support themselves through growing food and raising cattle. But the government hesitated to allow them back, with Lake Neo still potentially volatile. As of 2016, the population of survivors in refugee camps had grown from 4,000 to 12,000. In the last few years, some residents have moved back to the area near Lake Neos, hoping to reestablish a life there. But with just three organ pipes bringing carbon dioxide to the surface of Lake Neos, rather than the 10 pipes recommended by scientists, it is unclear if residents are safe from disaster. Even more troubling, Lake Neos is not the only lake containing treacherous levels of carbon dioxide. Lake Kivu lies along the border between Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is more than 2,000 times the size of Lake Neos and is estimated to contain 350 times more CO2 than the amount that Lake Neos released in 1986. The basin surrounding Lake Kivu is home to more than 2 million residents, all of whom would be at risk if an eruption were to occur. Sediment taken from the bottom of Lake Kivu indicates that limnic eruptions, like the one at Neos, have happened approximately every thousand years since the lake's creation. It's unknown when the last eruption took place, but each day it goes without erupting is one day closer to an unexpected and devastating detonation. Exacerbating the danger, Lake Kivu contains not just carbon dioxide, but also methane. If anything were to disturb the methane-rich water layers, it could release not only a cloud of asphyxiating gas, but also enormous fiery explosions. Scientists have lobbied for the installation of organ pipes in Lake Kivu, similar to the one in Lake Neos, but the lake's substantially larger size and greater depth make such plans more expensive. Thus far, no mitigation strategies have been employed to safely release the dissolved gases lurking at the bottom of the lake. The delicate balance of Lake Kivu is also threatened by gas companies, who have been extracting methane from the lake in order to generate electricity for the region. As Lake Kivu becomes more and more saturated with carbon dioxide, and as more methane is extracted from the water, even the slightest trigger could unleash a chain reaction that threatens millions of people. Scientists tell us that prevention of future disaster is possible if we are willing to act. But in the 30 years since the tragedy at Lake Neos, little has been done. Dangers at Lake Kivu increase by the day, and other lakes may harbor as yet undiscovered stores of dissolved gas. If steps aren't taken to reduce these threats, the next fatal release of a gas cloud is almost a certainty. Thanks for listening to Natural Disasters. 
You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals, like Natural Disasters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Natural Disasters on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Natural Disasters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Natural Disasters was written by Annie Levin, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Tim Johnson and Kate Leonard. 